2: third and final hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 KNUS. Great to be with you on the program as always. As we continue the conversation on a bill I've been speaking about for a couple of weeks now. On the air. I know last Sunday I was on Mike Boyle's restaurant show even about this legislation. It is House Bill 1118 and it would devastate the service industry and particularly when we're talking about restaurants, which have been in such a precarious position over the past few years, particularly because of the policies during the COVID-19 pandemic. And now this House Bill 1118 is threatening to make matters even worse. Put forward by Denver State Representative Emily Sirota, this bill would do a handful of things relative to what they're calling fair workweek employment standards, including among them. Putting in this requirement that affected employees under this legislation would have to be told their work schedules 14 days in advance. Also, as summarized by a recent editorial by the Denver Gazette, employees would have to be paid a full hours wage for any time added to a shift and two full hours wages for any time subtracted from a shift. This will impact restaurants dramatically. And then when you branch out into other industries, it's companies, including in retail, that have 250 or more employees worldwide, which, by the way, would uh, impact any sort of a franchise company of all sorts that may have more than 250 employees across the globe. So really what we're looking at here is dictates that employers inform infected employees of their schedules in advance two weeks and then tack on so-called predictability pay and additional expenses really to those businesses as a result if there's any sort of deviation from that. Is this viable in the restaurant industry? What could this mean for restaurants working diligently to come back from the brink if they were lucky enough to survive? during the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's talk about this with Sonia Riggs. She is the CEO of the Colorado Restaurant Association and joins me now. Good morning, Sonia. Welcome to the show.
3: Good morning, Jimmy. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: It's good to have you on the program. Um, So I summarized a little bit about this, Bill. Is there anything I missed that you would want to add, number one? And number two, big picture, and then we'll get in more into the details what is the association's view on this legislation
3: well we're adamantly opposed i i will start with that and and let me tell you why so it it goes beyond far far beyond the 14 days um notice for scheduling requirements if if an employer for any reason be it a snowstorm a pandemic um an act of war um terrorism if they if they make any changes to that schedule within 14 days um, including, you know, we, we have these playoff games that we don't know about until two days uh, in advance right. because there are three days in, in Colorado. Um, the, the employer gets punished. Um, they have to keep very careful track of any changes made. But but for, for let's just look at a 250-person company, which, by the way, when they define chain as two or more businesses with the same likeness, regardless of ownership. So I'll give you a couple of examples um, where this is going to impact those that we all think of as our, our local um, restaurants that started here in Colorado. Um, Los Dos Patrios, um, the, this, our, my board chair, uh, owns that restaurant with his family. His father is an immigrant from Mexico, came over, lived the American dream, worked his way up, opened um, opened a restaurant. They now have four locations. Um, they're really beloved in their local neighborhoods in in kind of the south south of denver um, area parker and, and other places nearby and they would count in this because they have um over 250 employees under all of those locations they're not what anybody considers a chain um you know jack's fish house is another example they're opened by a local colorado company um i could go on and on and on casa Bonita that's going to be opening is one location but they're they've made it very public they're hiring 500 people um but, but there are a lot of restaurant groups that I think people don't realize are going to very directly be impacted by this. Um, what was what we think the sponsors meant to do. But what the, in reality, what the bill says today is that it's any restaurant of any size is the way the actual language works. Right. But either, either way, let's just, let's just for, for argument's sake, say we're talking about a 250 person company. At the very minimum, that company has to now produce a thousand additional pieces of paper a year, documents called an anticipated work plan. They have to do that every 90 days for every employee. So that's a lot of paperwork. That's assuming not one employee makes one shift request of cha- to change at any point during the year. Well, we know that's not true. One of the reasons so many employees are attracted to this industry is because they love the flexible scheduling. I talked to one restaurant who um, has a, a military spouse in down in Colorado Springs who, Springs, who works for her. She said that um, this military spouse has two advanced degrees and prefers to work in the restaurant industry because of the flexibility. She doesn't know when her husband's going to be on leave, and and likes to take on extra shifts when he's home, and and when he's not home so she can be with the kids, work less, and that changes all the time. So. You know, and I could go on and on. There's so many more examples, students and teachers and other people that like part-time work to to supplement their income that are going to be impacted by this in a negative way because it basically penalizes the employer for making changes within that two-week period for for any reason basically.
2: So so what you're saying Sony Riggs is that this idea of flexibility cuts both ways where the employer needs flexibility based on any number of unforeseen circumstances. I mean, you alluded to uh, playoff games. A-, a sports bar can't make dramatic changes if they, if you know, say the Avs end up in the Stanley Cup and then they're going to have a full house and they're going to be understaffed or they may be right. uh, overstaffed if unsuccessful uh, for the Avs and, and what have you. I don't want a sports bar to be rooting against the home team for being successful because they're that they're gonna get slammed because they didn't expect a victory or, or something like that. But but then on the other hand, you're talking about employees who benefit from and enjoy that kind of flexible schedules and they would be hit as well. Exactly. Because what this bill ostensibly is supposed to do, of course, is to help those workers. The idea is you want predictability pay. You want to address these scheduling issues for workers so that they're not scheduled and then they end up missing out on money that they need or what have you. So you're suggesting, okay, this actually is something that would bite employees uh, in ways that they might not expect.
3: Well, and we know that for a fact, and the reason is, is we've talked to, there's only one other state in the country where this has been implemented, and that's Oregon, and theirs is far less restrictive than the version we're seeing here. In fact, I think it's important to note, the the bill that's in front of us here in Colorado is the most restrictive of any place we've seen in the entire country wow. in, numerous, in numerous ways so the the one that we have an example that's statewide we've actually spoken to employers there that have been impacted, and they've said the reality is is that we've had to force because we can't predict what's going to happen um certainly a lot of a lot of listen a lot of restaurants already do put schedules out seven at least seven days out, if not fourteen um but but the but the problem is all of the scheduling changes and the additional paperwork requirements that you have to keep for three years by the way. Um, and and if you any change whatsoever, whether it's an employee calling in sick or not showing up, which happens right now, it's hard to hire people. Um, you know, you have to now get that paperwork from two employees. The one the one that didn't show up, that's okay that they're not getting paid because they chose to not show up, or or honestly, we're sick, right? And you're not supposed to come to work when you're sick in, in the restaurant industry. Um, and then, um, the other employee that's now volunteering to work, like you've got to have all that paperwork. That's a, that's a lot of paperwork. Um, and if you, by the way, don't have that paperwork, if you make a mistake, if you, um, change a, an employee's hours to something they're not happy with, it, um, if they at all complain about their schedule and then you make any changes they don't like within 90 days, you are assumed to be guilty of, of, um, retaliating against that employee it's it's wow. directly in the bill that it is assumed that the employer did that on purpose and is guilty
2: one thing that has been boggling my mind over the past couple of weeks is well i mean it seems like this is legislation where they never once spoke with the restaurant industry when crafting it. Is that true was there a stakeholder process as there normally is or were you guys not brought into the loop before this was introduced
3: We were not. And and here's the thing that's even more frustrating. We heard directly from the um, proponents of this that they have been working with union groups to put this bill together for two to three years. We have not. The first we heard of it or saw of it was January 3rd, where we saw first draft of the bill. um, And they they gave us 24 hours notice. And by the way, this bill is 33. Well, now 33 pages long. It was 32 pages when we saw it. It's it's chocked full of lots of information to digest on every single page. Um, We had 24 hours to look at it and give our initial feedback to the sponsors, which was, you know, we didn't even have time to have our lawyer review it. Wow. And and then they introduced it like two weeks later. Um, You know, it's it's a, a bill of this magnitude and this size would normally see a one-year stakeholder process with all interested parties where you can go through section by section and talk about what's going to work and what's not going to work. That never happened.
2: Uh, and by the way, for folks who don't know, 33 pages in Colorado state bills is pretty darn long, especially because they're single issue legislation. It's not like Congress where a thousand page bill is is pretty darn common. When you're talking Colorado, it is much, much smaller, usually in the single digits for so Agreed. many bills. And yep. so that's an important piece here. Now, I want to talk a little bit with you, Sonia Riggs, again, our guest, who's the CEO of the Colorado Restaurant Association, about the impact this can have on the industry that has been struggling already. I mean, I think it was, what, last year that the legislature moved forward with sales tax relief for restaurants that have been hit so hard. And I've got... Um Uh, Your team at the association sent me a couple of uh, diagrams or infographics of the effect that we've already seen on the costs of producing a burrito or a burger at restaurants, which is just stunning in and of itself. But talk to us a little bit about this current state of the restaurant industry amidst the inflationary spiral that we've seen with food costs and coming out of the pandemic. And then you might have this on top of it.
3: Well, you know. Restaurants are widely known to have been one of, if not the most impacted, um, it hurt uh, uh, industry during the pandemic. I mean, they were they were devastated. And in fact, we spoke to Colorado restaurants and and did a survey, and they said they were in about $180,000 on average of pandemic related debt. This is an industry that makes actually traditionally very this is in good times very low profit margins on average three to five percent so three to five cents out of every dollar before taxes is what the owner normally sees but now let's add on and, and yes you are right a year ago was when the legislature said wow we agree restaurants have been devastated we're going to do what we can it was It wasn't a substantial amount of money; it was about six thousand dollars. But that's a big deal for the state to be able to give tax, sales tax money back to an industry. That's not that's not typical at all. Um, But in recognition of the fact that they were suffering, so on top of that, we've seen you know the the diagrams that you were talking about. We've spoken to restaurateurs, and and the one that that um, shows the hamburger, you know, what a what a cost of a hamburger. That's that was from a restaurant that has twelve employees. Um, so these are the, these are the little guys who are working really hard to, to provide a great community service, right? We love our local restaurants down the street, and the cost of labor for them has gone up 54%. The cost of their utilities has gone up 55%. Equipment and, and maintenance 20%. Plastic gloves um, 37%. But food, on top of that, we're seeing anywhere from 40 to 85%. Um, you know, certainly people are seeing it in the supermarkets with the cost of eggs, for example, but restaurants are seeing that same thing. And so those those traditionally 3 to 5% profit margins have shrunk even more. And and I've spoken to a number of restaurateurs who, you know, you'll go by your local restaurant and it will look like they're busy and people say, okay, restaurants are back, we're feeling great about it. Um, but, uh, you know, what they don't see is their profit margins are down. The revenue might be up, but their profit margins are down because you can't, pass all of that on to the consumer. You know, there's only so much that somebody will pay for the price of a hamburger or a burrito. Uh,
2: I mean, let's be real. It seems like the cost of everything is up. It is harder for families to take their kids to go skiing, to go to the movies, to do so many different activities. And then if you add on top of that, uh, making eating out cost prohibitive which is a great experience for families for friends I mean think of all the different reasons that we go to restaurants there are so many that you can think of uh, the The list is endless and then you make it more and more expensive and this is this is what would happen here so uh, Sonia in just our remaining couple of minutes what's sort of the bottom line here and are there any resources that the restaurant association is putting out there if we have any restaurant owners or people in the industry who want to let their uh, fellow employees know they want to let their managers know what have you is there any, are there any resources you have available that they can access and where
3: there are um, so lastly i would say uh, yes there the, one thing i think just for your listeners to know realize too is colorado restaurants 69 percent of them are independently owned and operated and i think that's another thing for folks to think about is these are impacting These are impacting a lot of small businesses, Um, but we do have lots of resources. They can go to either corestaurant.org, which is our website, um, to find information. We have a government affairs section. Or they can email us at info at corestaurant.org. That's um, restaurant singular, not plural. And we're happy to pass any information on that people want. We've got a variety of things from, you know, one-page kind of summaries to much longer um, descriptions item by item on how this is going to impact restaurants, but um, it's pretty scary, and I think restaurant owners and employees should be aware that this is something that, that's coming. You know, I don't, I don't know whether we're going to be able to make significant changes in this bill or not. We and a lot of coalition partners are working together to try to make that happen, but, you know, it's a tough legislature with, mm-hmm. with a very lopsided one-way that um, it may it may be challenging to do so. So we're we're happy to help anybody that that reaches out to us and and provide the information they need.
2: Well, wow, I, I can't. Imagine or fathom what it would be like with, with the most extreme bill of this kind uh, becoming law. So hopefully it will get thwarted somewhere along the line. And I, I certainly hope that folks who are listening will testify or make their voices heard, email their legislators, whatever it is, because this will have ripple effects for everybody, including customers who will find it more costly or might not be able to get in to a restaurant as easily because, well, they're not. Staff- as much, so they have to cut people off at a certain point. Who knows what might happen? But Sonia Riggs, CEO of the Colorado Restaurant Association, really appreciate your time this morning and best of luck trying to stop this thing.
3: Thanks so much, Jimmy. I appreciate it. You
2: bet. Thank you. Once again, Sonia with the Colorado Restaurant Association joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. House Bill 1118 with Emily Sorota sponsoring the legislation. You heard it. They had 24 hours notice. They normally have a year. They, they did not get to participate in any sort of stakeholder process. I mean, that is just astonishing. It's not surprising. It's what it seemed like would be the case, but it is astonishing to be sure. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Coming up next, Keith Nobles, former military intelligence contractor, will offer interesting insights into what we are seeing with the Chinese spy balloon coming up as we continue. 710 KNUS. Thorbjorn Risager, bringing us back here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. He is a Scandinavian blues musician. You don't hear of many of those, do you? But get up and get higher. We'll be talking about the balloon here in just a moment. It is up high in the sky, flying around. What should we be doing about it? And is it something we should have been shooting down already or our government should have? A real quick few texts that we have gotten, though, on our conversation with Sonia Riggs from the Colorado Restaurant Association. Jimmy, I deliver for many restaurants that have met lots of these workers over the years. Many of these employees participated in many of the left-wing protests, and they helped elect these people. Maybe karma called. I feel bad for the owners, but not the employees who will lose their jobs. I don't know about that. But secondly, I have not seen anything posted in any restaurant yet to educate their employees and their customers on this really bad bill. I do think that would be a good idea for restaurants to inform people of that. Alexa texting, this is not a D or R issue. This is just common sense. Most of the Democratic legislators seem to lack. Absolutely. Uh, Jimmy, government-sponsored tyranny is slowly wrapping around our necks to choke the little peasants into submission. Haven't we been there before? Oh, that's why we became the greatest nation on earth of by for the people. Woke, wake the hell up. That's Stephen texting in to the show here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. And is this really a problem that needs to be fixed? Good question. Nope. It is not. It is not, indeed. You're listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show here on News Talk 710 KNUS. So we have the balloon in the sky, and it could be a few more days. Yeah, so, So as I mentioned, we'll continue to monitor it.
4: Uh, right now, we assess that it will probably be over the United States for a few few days, um, but we'll continue to monitor, review our options, and keep you updated as, as we can.
2: Keith Nobles was a contractor to the military intelligence community for the last decade-plus of the Cold War he knows a heck of a lot about all kinds of things dealing with intelligence and how the these kind I mean look we're talking a cold war there was a lot that went on and there were some agreements in the 80s that happened and came about as well uh, to try and thwart any misunderstandings between the United States and the Soviet Union in the 1980s when Keith Nobles was a contractor for the military intelligence community. He's also the author of the novel, Our Dogs Did Not Bark, a politically incorrect dystopian tale, and co-host of the Cowgirls and Indians podcast. And he rejoins me for a rare third time in a couple of weeks. Good morning, Keith. How are you? I'm
1: good, Jimmy.
2: How are you? I'm doing well. So, we've heard a lot here about how the U.S. government, Department of Defense, should already have shot down this balloon from the sky. It should not be up there. And yet it is remaining in the sky. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, tweeting earlier this morning, every national security official who refused to protect America by shooting down the Chinese communist balloon should be fired today and replaced with people willing to defend America. Now, Keith, you are somebody who for a long time has been talking about how we've been in a Cold War with China since the mid-1990s. So do yes. you agree with Luke Gingrich?
1: uh so here's the thing jimmy that that is a very emotionally unsatisfying answer for most people we don't really know what's happening what we know is is really limited we know this balloon is uh has traversed the united states what it's doing we don't really know it's a pretty valid assumption that it is uh gathering intelligence and probably gathering signal intelligence that would be what the most logical answer would be however whatever information it is acquiring China probably already possesses because China has other means to acquire this this information to gather this intelligence so what is this balloon really doing we we don't know so for Many times I made the example. I made the example on on your show before. I made it in other venues. Back during the Cold War, something would happen. And the news media wouldn't really understand what happened. And the government, for obvious reasons, that however they acquired the information about what happened, we're not gonna say anything because they didn't want anybody to know how we acquired that information. So the news media would say cbs news can't go in the air at six o'clock and say something happened in moscow we don't know what it is and that's kind of where we're at with this balloon thing this thing is up there it's doing something it's doing this for some reason it's a pretty valid assumption that the united states intelligence agencies understand what this balloon is and what it's doing It's a pretty valid assumption. Nobody in the news media knows what it's doing, but they have to say something. So there's a lot of chest-thumping going on about we should do this, we should do that, with all kinds of possibilities exist for why that may not be a good idea. We could be uh, that we're collecting more intelligence from this balloon than the balloon is collecting from us, at least usable intelligence. Since it's highly unlikely this balloon is getting anything, China doesn't already have. So there's, there's some other thing going on here, and we don't publicly know what that thing is that's actually happening. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I know, certainly. And, and quite frankly, who knows if the U.S. government has balloons like this over China, and you shoot down a Chinese balloon, and then they shoot down your balloon, and then... You know, it just snowballs from there. And who knows what can evolve from that kind of a situation? I mean, one of the arguments, though, Keith Nobles, is that, for example, as the Wall Street Journal put it, Beijing may also be testing what it can get away with, as it often does. So. Could that be what it is? Is is let's test the American response and how they're going to handle something like this, and maybe then escalate from there? Or because that's what's boggling the mind. If the optics aren't good, in the sense that okay, this was spotted, and now the Chinese government has lost their meeting with the Secretary of State from the United States. That the retaliatory measure that the U.S. government has taken, Anthony Blinken, is not going to China as he was planning to this weekend. Um, So it doesn't look good. on the international stage. So then the question has to be, well, why why is China doing this if, for example, as you're suggesting, it's not really getting them all that much intel value? Could it be testing the waters?
1: No, exactly. It could be something as simple as China as well, where the United States is excellent at detecting aircraft and spacecraft. So I wonder how good the United States is at detecting a balloon. Right? I mean, it could be, something as simple as that and of course we publicly became aware of this because a civilian aircraft spotted this balloon we don't actually know how soon the uh united states military was aware of this balloon it could have been aware of this balloon when it was launched um
2: well, and then, but then Keith, how, how would the Chinese Communist Party be able to assess how quickly the U.S. government found it if, for example, the military was aware before it became public?
1: Well, and that's part of the game, Jimmy. I mean, for many years, and even today, on occasion, uh, Soviet Union, now Russia, will make incursions into United States airspace with bear bombers, and they're, they're testing our response. And they're looking for seams and radar coverage and things like this they're looking for weaknesses in our in our process for how we do this so on and so forth so that that, that is not new um, but, but here's something people should consider as a possibility here we are as Americans often acutely aware of when the United States government has a really bad or stupid idea Uh. We are perhaps less aware other governments are equally as prone to have bad and stupid ideas, and it's entirely possible this was just somebody in China's bad idea. We we tend to ascribe to them a level of competency that perhaps they don't always rise to.
2: So uh, Keith Nobles again, our guest, former military intelligence contractor, a few minutes left. Uh, He said I could share this sentence, uh, but I was talking with our mutual friend, Randy Schaefer, and Randy said, suggested that you, Keith, give too much are giving the government way too much credit for being smart or better yet clever than they deserve, thinking that government is as clever as I wish the government was. And that is in terms of how the U.S. government is responding to this by not shooting down the balloon. What is your response? Are you giving our government too much credit here?
1: I don't think so. Uh, it, this has little or nothing to do with Joe Biden, despite what people want to point to. Uh, this is really being run by people who do this every day and look for this kind of stuff every day and deal with this kind of stuff every day. I mean, Jimmy, here, here's a reality. The civilian aircraft spotted the balloon. If a civilian aircraft did not spotted this balloon, we would probably never know it was there. We don't know how many times this has happened before that it wasn't spotted. We simply don't know. And <clears throat> as I said earlier, these are emotionally unsatisfying answers that we simply we don't know. Uh, what we do know is is really tiny. We know there's a balloon. We can make a valid assumption It is probably has some kind of uh, intelligence collection device attached to it. And there's really nothing else that we know we can make a valid assumption the united states is gathering its own intelligence from this balloon and that may be of more value than than anything else here to the united states and we can make a valid assumption that there's a plan here for for what's happening and that maybe shooting down this balloon is not the way the united states gets the most information possible from what's happening. Because ultimately this is all about understanding China, understanding what what they're doing, understanding why they're doing it. So, as I said, these are all emotionally dissatisfying and unsatisfying answers. For most people, well, this is
2: why I you know, wanted I wanted to have your perspective, Keith Nobles, because you were expressing all this, and I'm like, I'm not entirely on board with Keith's idea. You're making very compelling points, to be sure, but so you're suggesting that those who were saying that it should have been shot down, um, they are sort of getting ahead of their skis or, or playing into an emotionally charged issue in a way that isn't thinking through various factors of consideration.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, exactly. Exactly. Okay. There's, yeah. And, and the simple answer is, like I said, we don't know. Nobody knows. I, I mean, the number of people who actually know in this country probably are in the dozens. And so we're all getting, yeah, we're getting ahead of our skis here on what's happening and why it's happening mm-hmm. and, and what the United States is actually doing about it.
2: Yeah. And you, you know why I find this partic- this insight from you particularly interesting is because you uh, were involved with the Cold War and you have contended that the U.S. and China have been in a Cold War since the 90s. So it's, it's very interesting to get that sort of uh, insight and perspective here on the program. And Keith Nobles, we got to leave it there. Uh, but, my friend, I, I always appreciate it. Folks should check out your Cowgirls and Indians podcast with the co-host with former radio host Christina Cook. Good to be with you, my friend. Thanks for joining hey, us.
1: Thank, thank you so much, Jimmy.
2: Thank you. Once again, Keith Nobles, former military intelligence contractor, joining us here on the program. Real quick, we are just tight on time, but before we go to our break, we'll have our crossover with Peter Boyles. I did want to bring on Lynn in Denver with, I guess, a, an alternate perspective um, regarding the restaurant bill we were talking about in the last segment that I think would be destructive to the restaurant industry. Good morning, Lynn.
5: Good morning. Um, Jimmy, thank you for taking my call. Um, I listened very closely to um, the controversy about the employment and the two week notice for the employee, for the employers, but there's another whole side of this. I am not part of the restaurant industry nor the retail industry, but at one point I wanted to apply for a job at Macy's and was told that my schedule would be determined on a weekly basis, which means you can't have a life. You don't know whether you're working evenings, you don't know if you're working days, you don't know what days, you can't make a doctor's appointment, you can't make a social engagement, you can't do anything because each week you don't know what day or hours you're going to work. So, somewhere in between uh, two weeks notice and no notice or a week's notice, uh, there has to be some type of of leveling so that
2: people can... Well, the, the one, the one thing, Lynn, and I, I appreciate the call. The one thing that I would say is that flexibility, as Sonia pointed out, cuts both ways. Employees, especially in the restaurant industry, do value in at many times the flexibility and the ability to say, you know what, I can't come in on this day, or I, I want to have this open, or hey, we're really slow, so can you cut me early? They rely on that, and you have to keep in mind that both sides do need to see that flexibility in and that's one of the perks and also the detriments, of course, of working in an industry like that. I gotta run, Lynn, but I appreciate the call. Thank you for that perspective here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Of course, our telephone number, 303 696-1971. We'll take a break on the other side. Peter Boyle's in the house. He's up, of course, from nine to noon. Keep it right here. Denver's local talk leader, news talk, seven ten KNUS. Wrap it up. Great tune by the fabulous Thunderbirds as we wrap it up here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk seven ten KNUS with the man himself, Peter Boyle's nine to noon, and now here in studio. Good morning, Pete. How the heck are you? Hey, I'm well, man.
4: Thanks, James. Good morning. I was listening coming in. Um all balloons all the time, huh?
2: It is fascinating to see the response. I mean, the alarmism um, is dramatic. I was just talking with my friend Keith Nobles, former military intel contractor, who was saying, you know, this they have more advanced technology than this. Please. They're testing the response. They're seeing how the U.S. will respond, that sort of thing. But it's not a big concern. No need to be hand-wringing about shooting it down.
4: The Chinese foreign ministry moments ago said in a statement that the president's, and they called it the Chinese airship, which I think is a real interesting choice of words, Uh, was completely by accident. It was caused by westerly winds knocking the balloon off course. And the Chinese again reiterate this morning that the balloon was for scientific research, collecting weather data, but they talk about U.S. politicians and our media taking advantage of the situation to discredit the Chinese. Now, the truth is where? But I'm with your friend. These people have technology they don't need to send a World War II weather balloon. This is what people thought was the Roswell, New Mexico. Remember it was the weather balloon. Remember the Japanese tried, I was trying to explain this to somebody. They would set balloons um north out of Japan during the Second World War with incineraries on them. And they started forest fires with them. Mm-hmm. And they put they had bat bombs and they had this kind of stuff. This is um this is not what they're doing. And um I have a whole other take on uh and what is taking place? And, of course, we have the Ukraine and, you know, what the United States is doing, arming all of that. And this is the kind of thing that the military industrial complex lives for. This is their moment for Fox News, the industrial complex.
2: So here's, here's a question for you. So I watched Tucker Carlson yeah. on Fox News. Yeah. I don't watch him much, but I watched a little bit of, of his coverage. And it's interesting because he's been talking more and more about military-industrial complex, but then he has guys who are yeah. alarmist about sure. the, the Chinese well, balloon. So how do you square that circle for... You don't. I mean, yeah.
4: you know, it's, it's their world. We don't, you know, we don't live in that world. But um, the industrial complex made tonnage in Iraq. They made tonnage in Afghanistan, and they cheered when the weapons were left behind because somebody's going to have to buy new ones, and they need a war. They truly need a war. And um, is this what they're aiming for with the PRC or the arming of Ukrainians? And um, Putin's putting warnings out, quit it. The United States is now going to send tanks. Uh, And there's an off switch and an on switch. Uh, The the Ukrainians want fighter jets. There's There's American... Uh, units in Poland right now, uh, historians would call this a tripwire.
2: Uh, Barbara Tuckman's "March to Folly" about the First World War. There's, it's a tripwire. Now, in terms of China, though, I mean, I, I think that a war with China is is untenable. Unbelievable. And I, I, I think that there are very few people who actually would want war with China specifically. Well... Um, because you can, go, you can think about the impact radio. That, that would have globally.
4: Well, first of all, the Chinese in their history have no... There's no event in Chinese history that they fight outside. They're, they're an expansionist country. They don't do that. They've run up against Tibet, which they said is, is theirs. Uh, they went into North Korea because MacArthur was threatening to come into China. But by and large, the Chinese fight internally uh, fight invaders, uh, i.e. the Japanese.
2: Well, and and in terms of their expansion, they go to Latin America, they go to Africa, they buy up ports, they influence governments. That's how they engage in their expansionism and buy influence.
4: They build railroads in Africa. They (laughs) do the kinds of things that uh, we may look at differently, but certainly the people that they're working with. The Chinese are smart. Uh, and they're playing the long the long game. Yes, they don't play they the are. short game. Always the long game. But this stuff this morning and, and plus one more as we end up um you know, when I say this to people they get upset. The Chinese military, the Walmart alone has spent five hundred billion dollars in the PRC stealing jobs out of this country and bringing trash cans back into America. The PRC, the government, takes that money and builds their Red Army with it. So when we stop and think about it, the multinationals build the army that the Chinese now have. Telling you you're getting a good deal and buying the Denver Broncos, well, that's what you get. So Mm -hmm. the, the multinational corporations have made the Chinese wealthy.
2: Mm. yep oh that's true it 's absolutely that 's where the
4: money comes from
2: to build the army for sure and to build that balloon without a doubt Peter Boyles up nine to noon here on seven ten. KNUS. Just a couple quick texts here. We'll be listening. Uh, Jimmy, regardless of what some experts guess the balloon actually is, the optics on a global scale is we are simply weak and decisive. I think it depends on who you're talking about. Um, It may be there are people around there, but when you're looking at other governments, they know that there's more to this than meets the eye, as Peter and I and Keith and I were talking about. Uh, It's not the employer's job to make a job for every employee. This going back to the restaurant discussion. That's why there's different businesses and different trades where people can go to work yes and by the way a lot of times those restaurant businesses upstart workers who've never done uh work before or in lower skilled jobs that's kind of how it works in the real world um oftentimes and we got to look at that more closely anyway that's it for me today i'm jimmy sangenberger pizza up next god bless america have a great weekend see you next weekend it's next saturday